This time around, Johnny Carson's favorite guest, Bette Midler, sits down for a chat, and we recall the historic appearance by Magic Johnson, who has just revealed his AIDS diagnosis. Some heavy topics, but not to worry. We start with a funny story about adulting that taught Natalie something she never knew before. From the East Coast of these United States, as far from Melrose Avenue as two people can be without falling into the Atlantic Ocean, this is Growing Up in the Dog Pound, props to Arsenio Hall, with Jamie and Natalie. Just like that, we travel back in time to Boston College, 1988 to 1992. So one thing that I've noticed younger folks don't necessarily understand, and by younger folks, I mean millennials usually, or younger, is the idea of a long distance call. Hmm. <laughs> we now have cell phones and for the most part, unless you're calling internationally, a call is a call. You don't think about where you're calling or how much it's going to be. For the most part, you have your monthly fee and it covers whatever calls you want to make. Not to mention we're not making as many calls. We're texting and whatnot. But still, the idea that you would hesitate to call someone because of where they lived and how much it was going to be <laughs> is lost. It sure is. Today. <laughs> And this came to mind because one of Arsenio's like consistent sponsors is a company called 1-800-COLLECT, which is crazy to me that a company like this is sponsoring a late night talk show because the whole premise of this was, first of all, they took the collect phone call, which I'm sure millennials don't know either, which is um, when you needed to call someone and you didn't have the money, either because you didn't have any change in your pocket at a pay phone or because you couldn't afford that long distance call, you had the option of calling collect. So you would get the operator involved and the operator would tell the person that you, they'd wait for them to answer the phone. They'd tell them who it was on the other side and they would get permission to accept the charges. Yes which is so, so manual and foreign to anybody today. It is. <laughs> and was not super common even then because that whole operator business made it very expensive. It, I mean, you had to be basically in jail to call someone collect or they'd be really mad at you because that was an expensive thing. Right, do. right. I don't rec- do you think I ever I don't think I ever did that. I would call my parents from my dorm room. Right. I don't think I ever had. Well, right. So um, the call and collect business you avoided unless you were in jail. But what 1-800-COLLECT was, was a um, an affordable way of reversing the charges. So there was no operator involved. It was a um, 
I guess, computerized system where you would say your name to a computer and they'd play the name to your parents or whoever you were calling. And it was like standard long distance rates. It wasn't inflated. So in theory, you know, no one would be mad at you for calling that way. And they were taking advantage of the fact that the um, Bell Telephone system had been broken up. The monopoly was disbanded and other companies could now offer long distance service, making it cheaper. Still wasn't cheap, but cheaper. You still did not know when you picked up the phone what the cost was going to be to call California or wherever you needed to call. But you had a little more sense that it wasn't going to break the bank. Right. You know? right. But if you really didn't, if, if you knew, you know, hey, this if this bill comes, I can't pay it. You had this option of calling 1-800-COLLECT. And the funny part about it was that some people would use it to get their message across without paying anything. So when you when they asked you to record your name, if you could say your whole message <laughs> yes, really quickly. right. <laughs> the other person would get the message and, and just that's the end of the interaction, you know. So I remember a TV commercial from the time. I don't I don't know what the commercial, the commercial was not for 1-800-COLLECT because they didn't want you to do this. But the uh, it's a, a father at a hospital and he's calling everyone he knows long distance. And when they asked for his name, he said, it's Bob. We had a baby today. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, you know, to even find that funny, it shows you how expensive this stuff was relative to the cost of living at the time. Right. I saw uh, an ad in the BC newspaper, The Heights. Get this. Get this. The ad was for a pay phone at Christie's Market, which you would have to take the tea to get to. <laughs> and the big selling point of this pay phone was that it was uh, flat 25 cents a minute, no matter where you were calling. Oh, so they had a little grid that showed like if you call California using your home phone, it's two dollars and 50 cents for the first minute and so on and so on. But at Christie's pay phone, you can get these rates. And I thought, how? sad would that be that to call home, you take the tea to a <laughs> convenience store and have a pocket full of quarters. Not only that, I'm thinking <laughs> if it's that cheap and other people are aware of this, there might be a line <laughs> outside I of know. that payphone. <laughs> I know. I know. It's, it's such a different time. It's like the things we take for granted, how easily we can communicate, either through the WhatsApp application, it. by video or, you know, through Skype. So many different ways that we can communicate that was like unknown at the time. If they could look into the future, I mean, they'd we'd... be like, really? We're going to be able to do video calls? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, around this time, there was a video phone released. I mean, it wasn't anything portable, but people did want that service. The video phone was 1500 bucks, which really isn't that much. I know, you know, cell phones today, if you were to buy them retail, they'd be 1200 $1, maybe time, more. But at the time, that's a huge amount of money. That's like you're a rich person buying a video phone, basically. Yeah, and... The other party would have to have one so oh, yeah. for it to be workable. So, yeah, those were not popular. Yeah, my, my but rich friend um, Jamie definitely wanted one the... for me and for herself. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was a big joke when we were at BC is Natalie always thought I was rich, which is... I told that to my dad recently and he laughed out loud. I, I still, and I still do. <laughs> hey, which one of us brought a TV? <laughs> I know. I, well, you know what? My dad must have been like, you know what? Now you're, you, I almost want to cry right now. This, I don't know if it's like mid fifties things or what, but everything makes me want to cry. But it makes me think about the fact that I loved TV. I mean, I loved, yeah. you know, anything that was performance music, shows. Yep. I mean, I lived for that stuff. And I'm thinking now, as you said it, it just occurred to me that daddy must have felt like 
there's no way she's going to have a day-to-day routine without her TV. Oh, dad. That is nice. It just made me think that. Oh. I think that's probably true because you said you took that TV from your room. I never had a TV in my room. That wouldn't have been even a discussion. (laughs) We had TVs everywhere in that little house. (laughs) (laughs) There's still a lot of TVs and and mom has a TV and everybody had a TV. It was like a big to do, I guess. You know, everybody has different tastes. So, but yeah. Yeah, we were pretty stingy with the TV funds. That was not something that we were spending money on. (laughs) So Jamie was like, thank you, Jesus. There's a TV. I was. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, around that time, things started to change with the phones. There were, by the time we were in junior and senior year, there were competing uh, long distance services. They were Sprint, MCI and AT&T, maybe something else. I don't know. And they would give a promotion. So if you switched from one to the other, they would often give you 50 bucks. Wow. And that was, at that point, that was a lot. So when I, I, for some reason, always managed the phone. So I would, as much as possible, switch the phone service so that we got a $50 credit because every month I would get the phone bill and mark off who needed to pay for what. Did I actually you know, give you money? Do I don't have any phone. recollection of this event. Do you know why you don't have a recollection <laughs> of that? Because I never paid for any? Because your mom was the one who remembered every time. Is that right? When she would come, she would say, I know Natalie does not pay you. Here's $50. Is that, <laughs> honest to God, 30 years have gone by and I have no recollection of this event. <laughs> oh. And it, yeah, I, I don't even, she was pretty accurate. I remember thinking like she'd give me some random amount of money and I was like, you know what? That's actually what it cost. Oh my God. I had no, first of all, I have no idea that you that, that you were in charge of any bill. <laughs> Second of all, in my in my crazy brain right now, I'm just thinking, oh, I you know we had a phone line and that was it. So we had to pay for our phone line when we were in college. I had no idea. Oh my god! Honestly, I had no. You're a nut. <laughs> People, anybody listening to this, I really had no idea. <laughs> you have got. To honestly, I, I you know I, I was so listen. I was such a dip. I can't say a, a bad word, but I was a space. I was, I was a dingbat. I was spacey. I was so, I was a sweet girl. I was always a sweet kid, but I was so spacey and I had no idea. <laughs> That's why when you said that, I'm like, what bill did I pay? <laughs> yeah. Now you see the, the priorities and the interest. So you brought the TV. I brought the phone. Oh my God. I was aware. I used, before I came to college, I worked for an answering service. So I, I, was I remember kind of a, you were the same I, way. I remember you working for the answering service. That's all I remember. Yep. Even in college, I mm-hmm. did. So the same way you were into the TV, I was into the phone and I knew what had to happen in order to communicate. And <laughs> so hold on a minute. The, so how did this work again? My, so, but my mom, mom didn't come monthly, did she? No, but see, it was just you and me. So I had enough and, and we, we knew it was expensive. Well, you were rich, like remember? We were calling a lot. <laughs> yeah, right. I can't believe it. I was not the one. I was the one with the one Benetton sweater. <laughs> hey, I didn't have not a one. So for me, that was like, Ooh, she got a Benetton sweater. So, oh my goodness, the things that I've just learned about. So I'm thinking, do I still yeah. owe her money from back in the day? 
So hold on. So anytime mom saw you, she would give you some money for the long distance phone? She did. Oh, my God. I think that she actually must have noted when you called her. Because, I mean, to be fair, our only long distance calls were home. It's not like we were calling random right. people long distance, you know. No, I didn't have um, like a long distance boyfriend. And so it was always mom that would call me. Right. Oh, my God. No, well, she called you. That's fine. But if you called her, I think she she must have recorded when you called and for how long because she was always giving me about the right, right. amount. Oh, my God. And you know what? It's just so funny and weird because if it was any other time, first of all, I wouldn't have not have been such a space cadet. But second of all, it's like today, like if that happened, she would just transfer you the money, you know, through Venmo or, True. you know, like things would just, like there was no Venmo. There was not like people weren't transferring money online. Nothing. So it was like, no. oh, when I see you, I'll give you some funds. <laughs> yeah, it was so manual too. like you would get a phone bill even if you only called locally and that local bill would be like five dollars. That was nothing. But then the separate bill was for long distance and I would get out. When it was just you and me, I didn't have to make such a deal. But then when we were no living well with three other people, those, yeah. I would have to get out a ruler and sometimes and go through the not the calls that they were charging for. And sometimes I'd have to say like, hey, who called New Jersey? <laughs> Come on. Do you think I brick? You actually asked me these questions because I have no recollection of this event. Oh, my God. Well, pro- I probably wouldn't have asked you because you knew I wasn't calling New you Jersey. You do crap yeah. like that. You know, right. That's probably like Noel or, or Alba. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. That is funny. So I used to, and I don't know why, I, I it never, ever was a problem. Everybody paid me and... My sweet I, I friend, Jamie, spotting like people money. People have to know this. My sweet friend, Jamie, didn't even didn't even like say, hey, Natalie, you need to pay up, you know, <laughs> nothing. Thank you, Jamie. I love you. <laughs> oh, thank you, Natalie. <laughs> thank I think you. I knew your mom. Visited and thank you for forgiving the space cadetness. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she always knew I was a space cadet. That's what it is. You always yep. knew I was a space cadet and you figured she's not trying to not pay me. She's just a space cadet. <laughs> well, I remember uh, when I, I told my mom that I wanted to room with you in college. I My mother said, are you sure? Because I never heard you really mention this person before and you're going to live with them. And I was thinking, hey, mom, they're going to pair me with somebody I never have seen At in least my I've life. Seen her. So <laughs> this seems like a better choice. But I said, yeah, I'm sure, mom. She's really laid back. And my mom said, this I got to see <laughs> because you're laid back. <laughs> Is this really true? And yes, I, w- I was. I was a, you know, I was. Nothing bothered me. Nothing bothered me. Um, and I was a good kid. It just, oh my goodness, just a disaster. So now I know Jaime <laughs> and long distance. <laughs> so I didn't realize I'd be teaching you as well. I thought I was just teaching the millennials. No, you're teaching me. I didn't even know I paid anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Uh, all right. So, uh, today we're talking about an episode from December, 1991 with, um, Bette Midler. So the beginning of this episode, Arsenio comes out in a suit that is lavender. I don't think you'd see yes. this today. No, and he looked good. He did. He, he really looked good. He loved, He loves colors. I mean, he likes, you know, some really like bright colors and, and they looked good. At, you know, again, it's you're right. It's a 90s type style. It would not be happening now. No, it would not be happening. But um, even though it's trendy, it's still flattering on him. It so happens that the trend is, you know right for him. It is. Yeah. 
I wonder if he ever looks back at it and go and goes, oh man, the style. And like, if he ever thinks like, oh, or if he just says, nah, it looked good. I looked fly. When I look back on myself in that Benetton, the one Benetton sweater that I had, (laughs) (laughs) which is just that one, (laughs) which is very bright. I think I look good. It even had shoulder pads, which is kind of bad. So I don't care. I, I still think, you know, there are certain things you wear that you wear because they're trendy and they actually look kind of bad on you. But if it looks good, it looks good. Right. If you looked cute, you looked cute. Right. You were cute. <laughs> Another one who looks yeah. cute is Bette Midler. She comes out in a cute yes. little dress. She looks, you know, she's a she's actually a really pretty woman. I never, you know, I, I never really think about her as, as far as her beauty, but she's a really pretty lady. She's not conventionally uh, beautiful, we should say. No. And nope, she's- when I watched her, um, she's kind of a darling of Johnny Carson. She was on his show when she was just starting out. He nailed it. He said that uh, you're going to be a big star. She did one performance. Nobody really knew her. But I watched that just for kicks. And um, she had not learned yet or or maybe 70s style wasn't her thing. She had not learned yet, in my opinion, how to present herself she didn't look as stunning as she does when she's older yes I agree it was an evolution in terms of style and everything do you remember do you recall what she performed on Johnny Carson that made him say hey this lady's gonna I think it was boogie boogie Boogie, bugle boy oh nice yep yeah and she had dancers it was a she she put a lot of effort into that um not choreography but you know the look of how she was going to present herself yeah, no, she she did a great, she had two performances on Arsenio from a distance. And I believe the other song is Every Road Leads Back to You. And you don't remember um, her singing Great Big Knockers? What's wrong with you? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> did I forget about that? I think I'm getting confused. I think that's all they, she sang two numbers, didn't no, she? No, three. So she, oh, three. Okay. All right. She's going to sing this uh, Great Big Knockers because it's part of her movie that she's promoting. Yes. Uh, for oh, the boys. For the boys. Yeah, And then at the end, she sings um, the two that you mentioned. And from a distance, she sings because she wants to do a shout out to the folks who served in the Iraq war at the beginning of 1991. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, she she, you know, Beth Midler is, is an interesting person to me. She she I admire her talent. I think she's a great actress and singer when she sits down. To, to to be interviewed, mm-hmm. I have difficulty with it. Really? Um, I, because I don't feel like I'm I'm getting all of Beth. I feel like there's a lot of layers there, and I can't get beyond those layers. And so I love when she performs, when she acts. I feel like I see her whole soul. Huh. You know, she was wonderful in Beaches. You know, every time she acts, it's like her whole heart is right out there. Or when she's singing, like, I don't feel like she holds back at all. Funny story about uh, Beaches. Mm -hmm. My parents took my sister to see that, and she must have been about 13 or so. And they ran into some people that they knew on the way out of the theater, small theater. And they couldn't talk to them because my sister was such a mess crying. (laughs) It is a really sad movie. I could see where I I was like that when I when I was younger and I would watch beaches it, i mean it still makes me i i still cry if i watch the whole thing but but i would it would be like like that like a sobbing like a deep like you know excruciating pain that i would feel like it's a sad it's a super sad story so it goes um, with your point about you know being a good actress if she can evoke that kind of emotion yeah i mean she, there's no question that she's a, a great performer i just um 
You know, she's the type of person where, you know, I hate to say it. And, you know, I, I, I'm sure she's a, a great, wonderful person and that I don't, you know, I don't know what, what kind of person person she is. But it's like when I see her, I go, you know, just perform, just perform huh. for me. Just get up and sing, get do act because I really don't think that if you sit down, I'm going to get anywhere. Interesting. I, so I had a similar feeling, not as much. And I actually thought she kind of warmed up as the interview went on. Um, yeah. But the feeling I had at the beginning was that she was distant from Arsenio. So she mentions that she filmed this movie for the boys, right? That's the name. Yes. And they had some um, reservists or soldiers, real soldiers as extras for the movie. And they yes. were doing the uh, the dog pound, woo, woo, woo. And they had to tell them to stop it because it wasn't in period sync. If you're talking about a movie in the 40s, nobody right. would be doing that. Right. But And she mentions that she was surprised at how pervasive Arsenio was among these young people. And I actually felt like she was holding back again, maybe I'm projecting, but because of that Carson thing. She is the quintessential Carson guest. She was, his, she was Johnny Carson's last guest. He retires, I think, the following year or the year after that. And he had her back as his last guest because he had a special place in his heart for her. Wow. And the way she talks to Arsenio, like, you know, I'm proud of you. I'm glad you're the successful. I didn't know. And she she kind of plays on that he's a lot younger and he doesn't know the earlier parts of her career. I felt like she was a little bit of a fish out of water being a little older and, you know, just of another era, like it was, I thought was a very good guest, but, you know, just didn't vibe in the way some others did. Interesting. So we, we have different perspectives, but we're kind of, we're kind of hitting on similar things, you know, like there was a little bit of a wall, yeah. you know, and it's like when she puts on, you know, when she walks out and she kind of struts and she uses her hands to walk a little bit and yeah. it's like, and again, I'm sorry, but if you ever listen to this and think <laughs> differently from what I'm saying, but I feel like it's all a defense mechanism. Okay. Like she's putting on a, 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 like the, her performer role now. Here I am as Bet, the performer, and I'm going to be bawdy. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make some jokes that are inappropriate and, you know, I'm going to make people laugh and I'm going to have, you know, a good comeback, a, com a good retort for everything that Arsenio said. You know, it's like she's putting on a mask, a role, the role of the performer. Yep. That's what it feels like. And so I feel like if I'm going to if I'm going to get that from you during an interview, I'd rather you just get up and perform for me because then I can really see your heart. I can see your tears if it's an emotional song. If you're acting, I can really see that you're in it. I'd rather just see that. You're so deep. I actually enjoy the <laughs> performance, you know, the mask. I enjoy that. I know. And I think a lot of people do, you know, and I think that um, I think she learned that early on in her career because the bathhouses that that I wasn't aware of. I, I was not aware that she you didn't know that achieved superstardom through her, her performance at the uh, gay bathhouses. I did not know that. I'm surprised you didn't know that. I did. Was, you know, again, it's the universe just putting everything into place. She is. The, you know, she just fits, you know, yep. and Barry um, Manilow was her partner. And that was essential. Imagine that. Imagine that the universe has Barry Manilow. I know <laughs> the universe brings you Barry Manilow to, to produce your first album, which is the Divine Miss M was her first album. And um, and, you know, I, I like what she said. She said that that was like a turning point mm -hmm. performing in those bathhouses because the, they made her funny, she well, said. Well, okay, now that's uh, a real moment. I love that. You have that. to say that's real. 
Mm-hmm. She says, "Yeah, yeah." She didn't. I agree she wanted with that. to be a torch singer, which is not something we use today. But I guess it means more of a um, piano yeah, piano love, bar. Yeah, correct. Um, and I could see how you know interacting with that crowd, it would tap into her humor. Yes, um, I, I I agree with that. And um, and yeah, I mean, it was just it was interesting for her to say that. And that is a real moment. And anytime she talks about performing, I feel like we get to something real. Like if she talks about like how she wanted to be better or, oh, I, 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 you know what? To be fair to her, there was another moment that was pretty real when she said, you know, I used to be so mean before. Yeah. When I was younger, I was so hungry for, you know, I wanted to be successful. I was so impatient for it that I was mean. You know, I'd see other performers, I'd be like, oh, they're not as good. Or, you know, she didn't say it quite like that, but basically that was her message. And, um, and she goes, I'm, I'm not like that anymore. I, I, you know, she, she, it sounds like she makes a concerted effort to be respectful and not bash other performers. And I, I thought I appreciated that moment that she could admit to that, that, that she was kind of mean. Arsenio shows her a picture from the um, recording of we are the world. Yes. And she's next to Latoya Jackson. Latoya. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And she said, Oh yeah, I know poor Latoya. Uh, And she's like, looks like, they 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 put all the hot singers in one section and they put me next to Latoya type of thing. Yeah, basically although I have to say, with Michael Jackson, Latoya, Bette Midler. So it's not like you were in the second tier balcony or something, you know. No, and Michael Jackson was near Latoya. I can't yeah. remember. Yeah, I noticed the, that. Oh, okay. Oh well, geez, you're next to Michael Jackson. Right. So yeah, that 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 was that was interesting. So uh, I, I mean, Arsenio kind of sets her up with that. He Latoya is the number one joke at this time of all the Jacksons because. She never seems to really have a career. She's doing all kinds of kooky stuff that is not, you know, working. And I think Arsenio wants her to take a dig at Latoya by showing her that, but she won't. Yeah. She doesn't really. And then he said, "You're so." She, I guess he's he's made a lot of Latoya comments because he. She also said, "You're so mean to Latoya." Ah, yeah. She was the butt of jokes. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I didn't recall that at the time. But yeah, you know, poor Latoya. I mean, it's hard to I mean, I would hate to be part of the Jackson clan and like be the only person that really doesn't dance or sing. I mean, that that's tough. <laughs> I think she tried, right? Yeah, she wasn't very good. Like even her her, her sister, Rebe Jackson, yep. who had a limited up. She was pretty good. I know. I mean, that one hit that she had. Yeah. <laughs> I like that jam. But like Latoya never had a jam that I said, hey, I like Latoya's jam. I know that just didn't happen. Even Jermaine, Jermaine had a few hits um and Jermaine was clearly talented I mean he was you know he was part of the Jackson 5 and all of that stuff but yeah poor Latoya do you remember what Bette said about herself when she saw herself in the picture she said she was chubby she said I was chubby (laughs) yeah I mean I've always kind of known Bette to be chubby but I've seen her weight fluctuate I didn't really think she looked chubby I I didn't think it was that great of a picture yeah 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 I mean she's probably harder on herself than you know like most of us she's harder on herself than somebody else would be but yeah Bette is an interesting um she was do you know she was about 45 probably or 46 during the time of the interview seems about right and she mentioned she wanted to have another child Oh, but we yeah. know that she never did. That's interesting. She, yeah, why was she only saying had one. that? Oh, yeah, she was making a joke about her gynecologist. That was weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and again, it's like 
I guess, you know, to be fair, because I say like, I just, I, I prefer for her to just get up and dance and sing and not really talk, but she does reveal things. It's just that she hides behind that whole performing persona. Mm-hmm. And then it, in, sometimes it leaks out, you know, and I, and maybe it's just a protection. I mean, it's hard to just bury your soul in front of everybody, you know? So let me tell I, you my theory on this. I'll be very interested to hear your reaction to this. Mm-hmm. So she says, or he says during the interview that her birthday was December 1st. Of course, catches my ear because my birthday is December 12th. Yes. And what I thought about this manner that you're talking about, the way she struts, right, using her hands when she walks, just the whole way she presents herself. That is not that I'm a believer in horoscopes, but that is classic Sagittarius. The whole leading with a smile kind of performative presentation. Well, you know that the Sagittarius sun sign is like, that's the best zodiac sign you can have. Well, obviously Um, it is mine. So. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like you guys are likable. Everybody likes you. Everybody gravitates towards you. There's no like, you're not like Leo's who, you know, can be like, hey, it's all about me. You're not like that. You're just like, everybody likes you. You, You've got the perfect balance. And if you think about everybody liking you, which by the way, I don't think that's necessarily true. Not everybody likes me, but that's probably because you're you're working it to some extent. You're not right letting it all hang out. You're putting out what you think is going to be attractive. Right. Yep. Yep. It's uh, she's an interesting cat. I like what she had to say about that. She talked about the rose because I do think she was brilliant in the rose. Did you ever? No, see I've that? never seen that. She was brilliant. And I, I don't think she won the Oscar, but was nominated for an Oscar that year, but did win the Golden Globe. She liked the character because it's a strong character. So she likes playing those kind of like, you know, not the typical character of rebellious type character. And that's, you know, the role, the, the character she played in the rose was like basically like a Janis Joplin type, you know, figure mm-hmm. or persona. And it, and it was it, and she did it well. I mean, it's a sad ending. It's basically your typical story about the rock and roll singer reaching these heights of fame and then dying of a, you know, uh, drug overdose. I mean, she again, when she's acting, you see it all and there's like nothing holding holding her back. And she probably should have won the Oscar that year if she didn't. Yeah, it sounds um, like it. That sounds like a good role for her. Yeah. And the, and the song, I, I mean, I love a lot of those early, you know, yeah. early, early performances. And I think she said that she either wrote the movie or conceived of it. She, it wasn't like somebody wrote it for her. I think she was part of the uh, development of it. Of the role? Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't. That I wasn't completely aware of. I, mu- I must have missed that. She said, but she, I wanted to take that character to Vietnam. Oh, we're talking about For the Boys. No. Well, yes, it was it was in the context of For the Boys. But um, she said, I wanted a woman's perspective on war in For the Boys. Yes, right, right. So I, I understood that to be the reason why she wanted to do For the Boys was because she wanted a, that that's what was interesting to her. You know, we know about the men's perspective. We know that we have plenty of movies that focus on men, but I wanted to see, again, you know, a woman performer in in wartime, what, what you know, what the perspective was and that that was the motivation behind that movie. Yeah. I have to say, once again... It might be a good movie, but it's not one I remember. I I never saw it. And he says it got good reviews. I read some reviews online just to see what's up. They said, you know, her singing's great, but the movie stinks. Yeah, I wasn't like completely like, oh, I got to watch that. I mean, like I said, there are other things that really I've watched, you know, more than once, like The Rose and Beaches. And Well, she was really and- enthusiastic about it. I didn't I didn't get the feeling that she was like promoting something that she knew was a dog. It, she really was sincere. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think she is very sincere about her art. I think, again, she puts 100 percent behind her, her whatever she does. Something I noticed, uh, not only her, but at this point in time, when people come on to promote a movie, they say the picture or my picture. And I don't think we say that today ever. I think we say movie or film. Yeah, true. Yeah. It's, a, it's I guess maybe just different. The way that people communicated back then was different. I think it's you're seeing the very tail end of that Hollywood kind of motion picture culture. You know, what's interesting, too, about her, Jamie, is that, again, she you know she mentioned she liked the Rose because it's like she likes strong female characters and that she was wanted to, you know, be part of for the boys. Because Again, we're talking about a strong female character and, you know, the whole war perspective. But she's the type that has passed up a lot of like big roles. Yeah, she like, passed she up passed Misery. Misery that went to Kathy Although Bates. Although I could see she... passing that up. That is a horror movie. That's not well, for everybody. And then the comment that came afterwards, like, I'm worried about my public uh, seeing me cut feet, but yeah. cutting the other. Yeah, cutting something else. That would be in fine, line with but... my character. but Right. So that was like, ooh, okay. But I know Again, what she means. This is a horror movie. If you do something, right. you know, funny and violent, that's different. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that she had the right take on that. And she also passed up the lead role in Sister Act. Oh, that's surprising. Imagine that. That went to Whoopi. That would have been good. Yeah. I think that would have been a good role for her. For whatever reason, she didn't want it. I mean, you never know. It could be just bad timing. I like when he asks her uh, about Pee Wee Herman. He's heard that she would like to do a movie with him. And she describes what she envisioned, like a Mae West, W.C. Fields type of a picture in which the Pee Wee Herman character is, you know, trailing her and, and trying to get her attention. And she's swatting him away like a fly like Mae West did. I that was <laughs> That's interesting. funny. And and she said that they were really good friends. And she so. sticks up for him because six months before this interview, Pee Wee Herman or Paul Rubens was arrested famously for exposing himself in a movie theater, um, X-rated movie theater. Yes, I did hear about that. And she defended him on that? She did. She said he's a good guy. And she mentioned something like it's been an interesting year for him. But um, I, I've heard a number of people defend him. And even at the time, I don't know if you remember, but people were like, really? In an X-rated movie theater? The cops have nothing better to do than arrest that? That seems kind of stupid. <laughs> yeah, that's bizarre. <laughs> Maybe he was set up. You know what? Uh, also, uh, to uh, on a separate note, when she talked about Aretha Franklin, I couldn't help thinking, here we go with Aretha again. How do you mean? A well, she said that she really worshipped Aretha and that when she had a, a, an, an opportunity to actually meet her, Aretha was not all that friendly. Yeah, Aretha does not seem like a friendly person. Well, this is the second time we're hearing about this. And, you know, R.I.P. to the Queen of Soul. I mean, she inspired a lot of artists and she is she was brilliant. But my goodness, with even with Taylor Swift. Many years later, they were asking, you know, Aretha what she thought about different artists. One of the artists that they, the interviewer mentioned was Adele. And, and she had some nice things to say about Adele, that she was a strong vocalist and all of that stuff. And then I forget who the other artist was. But again, she said, you know, pretty good, pretty good things about that artist. And then the interviewer asked her about Taylor Swift. And Aretha couldn't say anything really nice about, uh, you know, Taylor's talent. So she said, oh, well, she dresses nice. Oh, my God. Ooh, that's a dick. Yeah. You know, 
And Taylor was, you know, I don't think Taylor ever said anything disrespectful back. And I wouldn't. I would just let that ride if I were Taylor. Yeah. But I mean, that's again, really he, unnecessary. Right. And so and, you know, Bette Midler, uh, you know, again, they're both talented. Taylor is a very talented songwriter, performer. And Bette, Bette is also super talented. And yet again, they're feeling the cold shoulder. Yeah. What she from said the Queen of that Soul. made me laugh is an expression I use. She said that Aretha gave her the stink eye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And and even then, Bet was very generous. And that, again, another little moment. I'm going to, you know, again, it's anybody who would be defending Bet would have that moment to point to where she was seen quite sincere and saying, you know, I still love Aretha. Yeah. But, you know, she was a little mean to me. And it seemed really like sincere, like it hurt. Right. It's like, all right, I'll, I'll let it bounce. It's, you know, she's still What are still you going to do? I mean, you have an idol. Right. They say never meet your idols because you will be disappointed. Really? Mm-hmm. I've never heard that. Really? No, <laughs> it didn't happen to me with Tony Orlando. I still love him, but <laughs> <laughs> yes, we all know <laughs> Tony Orlando. I, I wish I could go wink, wink. <laughs> I like that. She said when she was talking about the gay bathhouses mm-hmm. that she felt that she was at the forefront of the gay liberation movement. Oh, I didn't I don't catch know if that. That's there, if I read it. I, oh, maybe I, that's I, why. I read and research, so sometimes I, I may think I heard it, but it's because I read it. But she she felt proud of being at the, that she felt like she did a lot to to advance that movement, even though there were negative things that also happened as a result of the bathhouses. It was of of feeling like she was part of that movement. Yeah, I could see where she would so, feel that because I'm guessing that, I don't know if they asked other people to perform, but other people probably would have said, what? I don't want where men wearing towels. No, thanks. Yeah. People being homophobic and not open. I mean, not everybody was open back then. No, not at all. We know that that wasn't the norm. It's the norm now. Like we have a lot more openness and we've got pride month and all of those things. But back then it was, it was not a popular move. And she also did. I mean, she also admitted that it was good money. Well, uh, yeah. and $300 for two nights. Woo. I mean, that's a lot of money back then. I think that would be the equivalent, what, of like a thousand for two nights? Like it, it's because of inf- inflation, I mean, yeah, it's a lot it's more than it would be. It's certainly a lot for somebody who's never performed. But I could see they have to probably ask someone who is unknown because somebody who is known is not going to think that's a great venue. <laughs> Correct. That's right. But little, you know, but it was it's, it became a million dollar opportunity, though, because that's what led her to be known and to, you know, and to, to rise to superstardom. So, yeah, Arsenio asks her about the bathhouses and she gives him a hard time. She says, I've been telling people this for 30 years or something. He says, well, I've only been in the business for three. And that goes back right. to that idea I had that she she feels a distance from him because so much of her career was before he was even thinking yeah. about being famous. Right. Yeah. She probably felt uncomfortable, like he's a little too young. Yeah. Yeah. I I can see that. Although you have to explain the bathhouses because it's not like they're all over the country. Give me a break here. You have to give us some context. Yeah. And just do it. I mean, if it's a younger audience you're trying to appeal to, it might be cool to them to hear like you were hip enough to go against the grind back then. You know, I mean, she did it. It was fine. But I, I there was a little bit. But again, and. Again, you know, she she was older, so I can't say it's because of age or anything, but maybe she reveals a little bit more in different interviews. Maybe it depends on the interviewer, whether she knows them or not. Maybe that also influences things. I don't know. 
Well, and I think uh, it's interesting, too. I don't think everybody would pick up on what you did because she says interesting things. It's not like you're watching right. the interview and you're bored. Right. Right. No, she I mean, she is. Yeah. I mean, we want to know about her, how she views her, you know, her performances and all of that stuff. And she does reveal tidbits, you know, like when she said, you know, like I used to be mean. And that that's kind of an interesting thing to know. It was evident that she would one day become uh, not famous, but that that theater and performance would be her her thing, because I did read that back in in high school, she well, when she graduated, she was voted most misdramatic. They <laughs> called it misdramatic back in 1963. So, I mean, this is uh, she's definitely where she should be. And she was named after Bette Dave, Betty, Betty Davis. Davis, even though it's Bette yeah. Midler. She was named at Betty Davis. I I'm did like, think oh, of okay. Betty. Da- Betty Davis d- actually died, uh, I think, in 89. And there is something there in terms of, like I said, uh, Bette Midler talking about her latest picture. I feel like she's connected to old Hollywood, still a modern person, but that's part of what the difference is between her and Arsenio. She's part of another era. She is. Yeah. Yeah. And also she's like, you know, into, you know, Broadway and that's not really his wheelhouse either. I mean, he does stand up comedy, he's done movies. And so, yeah, there's, there's a little bit of a lack of connection, but I think, I think they made it work. I think it was fine. I think the interview went fine. And and I think singing three numbers is kind of a lot. I think she gave a lot as a guest. She did. And I, I thought the from a distance performance was moving. It wasn't. She kind of walked into the audience type thing. Yeah. Again, I feel her heart when she sings those songs. I, you know, that's why I'm like, keep performing that. I think I like that better. But well, you're just too. Deep. I don't know. Maybe she's different. Maybe she's different now. You're just or too maybe deep. She's, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I like for people to show me a little bit of their vulnerability. Oh, that was it. That's the word I've been looking for this whole time. I don't really feel like I get that. Hmm. That's what I was missing. I was trying to figure out what it was. It's the vulnerability. And a lot of the times people do show show it to you in different ways. Um, and I guess she, you know, she might have shown it a little. Yeah. But, uh, As a fellow Sagittarius, I would say I get her. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if you think of her in the context of... Sammy Davis Jr., Frank Sinatra is another legendary Sagittarius. Those are all people oh. who like lead with a smile. You know, they don't necessarily lead with what they're feeling in the moment. They'll get there, but right. they come out with a you know jazz hands and teeth, a lot of lot of teeth. You right, know? right. And and I admire. I mean, you know, she's she's in it to 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 win it. You know, absolutely. Like you, can see that. you can't knock the hustle. <laughs> right. So I respect that. I do. Hey, did you watch the rest of this episode with Mario Joyner? I sure did. What was up with his pants? He had his pants up to like his armpits. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I really didn't care for the humor all that much. And all my respect to him. I know he's talented. I know he's, you know, collaborated with Chris Rock and um, I think Jerry Seinfeld. I think so, too. He was a big name at the time. You know, I just I didn't quite care for and he got like five minutes of Arsenio's time on that show. And I felt like I've watched a few of the other comedians and even kind of Arsenio's monologues make me think that comedy at the stand up comedy at this time was different. It was like stiffer. It was more joke, joke, joke rather than. Yes. Yes, you're right. Lingering on anything. The thing is, if it, one falls flat, it's like you have to be skillful in order to move it forward. Right. Um, 
Especially and, in that kind of a presentation where you're not telling a story. It's just joke, joke, joke. It's hard to pick yourself up if something bombs. Yeah, because I felt like a lot of his jokes went like just dry. And, and I'm like, ooh, I, I was kind of feeling a little nervous for him, to be honest. And then like he'd have a few that would be okay. And I'm like, all right, he's not totally bombing. Didn't you feel that? Like a little bit like, this is kind of dry. And I don't know. I did. I, felt like- I don't know. Like I said, I don't know the expectations. I feel like because I've watched a couple of other comedians who came on Arsenio, they all just seem to do an act and not interact with the audience at all. Yes. Yes. And he was better. So, he was more, uh, not that he had a lot of time, but he was more interesting when he came over to sit on the couch. Yeah. Although to, right now I can't think of anything too interesting that he really said, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm interested in him that he was, that he was respected by people who I consider, you know, major talents like Chris Rock and Jerry. I mean, clearly he has the talents, the comedic talent. And um, and I think he had a half hour show later on on MTV years later. Is that not it right? It sounds familiar. That? Did you know that you wouldn't know this? So that's kind of a false setup. But I should tell you, I actually shortly before this interview, which is in um, December, I chatted with Mario Joyner. Look at me. What? Yeah. <laughs> I- <laughs> What? <laughs> uh, that maybe I think are you having a Mandela moment? No, again? and it it actually was him. It was not my dad's friend who looked like Mario Joyner, but <laughs> <laughs> Can I know why yes, and so, how, Miss Jamie? Yes. This would be like a re- I, I think she say this is like the element of surprise during our podcast. Yes. Like you save something for me so that I can like be like, "What?" It was kind of the element of surprise for me too cuz I can barely remember this, but The summer before senior year, I worked at a radio station just over the line in Connecticut. The station was WVVE, The Wave. And most of the time, I was just there Saturday nights, just pushing buttons, and I was not on the air. But at the end of the summer, the news director needed to take a vacation, and they thought, hey, here's this girl who's done news before. This gives our guy a chance to take a break. You know, we normally don't have anybody here that can substitute for him. So they asked me to do a week of mornings with the um, oh, wow. the morning show DJ. So I did, and it was totally fun. And one of the things that happened was that Mario Joyner was a guest. And How bizarre. The, uh, Are you sure it was him? Well, I don't think... <laughs> Not some other Mario Joyner? No, it was... I mean, unless he set up other people to make his calls for him, <laughs> which I don't think. He had something to promote, so it could have been... Some kind of MTV show that you're remembering. I I don't know what he was promoting. I don't remember that. But the only reason I talked to him is that the morning DJ said, hey, Jamie, I hate to ask you this, but I have to interview Mario Joyner. And I would like him to think that he's called like a little bit of a bigger radio station than he's actually calling. So could you take him first? Could you talk to him? Like tell him that, you know, you're my assistant or what anything just so I don't have to talk to him first on the air. And I said, okay, not a problem. I understand what you're going for here. (laughs) (laughs) I got you. (laughs) So, you know, I was like the warm up act for before he went on the air. Wow. Do you remember anything that he said to you at the time? No, most the whole time I was just thinking like, I'm talking to Mario Joyner. (laughs) (laughs) Well, 
let's just make sure we have the right Ma- Mario Joyner. Was this? It, 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 did he tell you he was a comedian and that well, he was, it was a doing kind different of, thing? Yeah, no, it was definitely the right Mario Joyner. It was the kind of thing where when somebody like that has something to promote, a movie, new show, whatever, they call a whole bunch of radio stations. It, they even still do this today. It was more common then because there were more local stations. But you know it's the real deal because the publicist comes on and says, okay, I have Mario Oh, in line. He's he's talking to Kiss 108 or whatever. He'll be with you in a minute. And then he comes on. Wouldn't it be cool if you could get like, I know this is like completely impossible, but if you could get a recording of that whole thing that you did with him. I know. That would be awesome. It wasn't anything though. It was, I wasn't on the air. I was just warming him up for the morning show guy. Right, right. So you weren't even on the air, so def- they definitely no, wouldn't have that No, there was no recording. Away anyway. And this would have been what year, Jamie? Right it before was, um, 1991? So, no, yeah, no. so this interview was in December 91, and this would have, my interaction would have been in August 91. Wow. I think like cool. maybe it was very close, like two days after that or something, I went back to BC. It was very close to the time I was going to go back to school. Right. Little did you know, like, well, he's not a huge name, but he's certainly linked to to big names. I know. And he's known. He's known enough. You know, like, I'm sure he's done well for himself behind the scenes. You know, I hope so. I hope he's got better pants. Those pants were bad. <laughs> <laughs> I try to be fair, you know, like, OK, we were maybe wearing our pants a little higher in the 90s, but that does not look good. That looks really weird. Yeah, there were a lot of weird styles though back then. <laughs> So you probably would have been more forgiving back then, I think. Yes, I probably would have. Come on! Before the end of this episode, grab your phone and head to Twitter. Retweet one of the graphics posted at Podcenio. P-O-D-Cenio. You can even at-mention Arsenio himself. (gasps) Next up, we actually go back in time a little bit. We didn't do these in sequence. This is from November... 8th, 1991. And the guest is um, Magic Johnson. There's only a recording of this online and it is a very poor recording. It made me sad because this is a kind of a major moment. He's coming on Arsenio the day after he announced to the world that he has HIV virus. I know. It's amazing. And the thing is that it was such a brave thing for him to do because it's not like today where, you know, there's a different mentality today as far as, you know, that that was still very much seen that that disease was seen negatively. He ran the risk of people rejecting him in some way. And he just wasn't he just didn't care about that. He was just so, you know, centered and, and sure of himself. He knew that his purpose was to go out there and to educate people about AIDS and HIV, to make sure that people were well aware. He was very concerned about the impact on his own community. And he was just willing to go out there and, and just, you know, be present. And I, I love that. I think he's... uh a very spiritually um, centered person. But, but the, uh, the setup for this is that he goes to get some life insurance. And it could be because yeah. his wife is pregnant. That's a time when people increase their life insurance. His wife, That's whose right. name is Cookie, which is so damn cute. It is cute. I know a Cookie. You do? It's a, it's a guy. It's a yes, guy? Yes, I do. Cook, cookie Rojas, which I'm sure he wouldn't mind if I said his name. And uh, Is his name was, Charlie? Real name? No. Does his he like Cookie? <laughs> you know what? I don't even know why they called him Cookie. I really don't. But we've known him as Cookie all, and he's always been a like, positive guy. And I'm proud to say he's a very successful guy and a 
life, lifelong friend. Uh, our families have known each other for a billion years. Um, yeah, I don't think you so, would know somebody named Cookie who's like a big jerk. That doesn't sound right. No, no, <laughs> no. And he's done so well for himself and it just fits. And he still like goes by Cookie. Yeah, like, I would. Even in his professional life. I would do it. That's how people, yeah, people know him as Cookie. So anyway, shout out to you, Cookie, if you ever <laughs> listen to this podcast. <laughs> All right. But moving along, we digress. We're talking about magic. <laughs> so he goes to get life insurance. They give you a health test generally for that. They get the the blood test rather and they say oh this looks weird and they test and test and test and they determine he has HIV he's prepared to make an announcement that he's going to retire from the league the NBA and a radio station contacts his people like the day before he's supposed to make this announcement they say yeah we a rumor got out and we know you have HIV and we're going to announce it today so he rushes to give his announcement first which I watched and it's it's sad. He's not together. He's I mean, he's doing his very best, but it's unscripted and it's a very difficult thing to say. And it is. And it was not a like a, a calm, you know, it was like, you know, again, people were very ignorant, really, at that time about AIDS. And it's like people would reject him because of homophobia. You know, like he ran that risk of people thinking he probably had a gay relationship or, you know, or what did he do? What kind of person is he that he was able to get this disease? I mean, there was a lot of ignorance and he certainly ran ran that risk of people rejecting him and, and suffering that stress. So it it was a huge deal for him to come out. And I so appreciate him doing it time and time again, you know, to to bring awareness to, to the disease. Yeah, you can. It's hard to remember some of that attitude. Like I was surprised when I read some kind of an interview of um, students to do with condom use. And um, do you use condoms? Do you think you should? Do you think it's important? You know, very basic questions. And a student answered, it just stunned me. He said, I don't think that condoms are something we need to be concerned about at BC. You know, after all, these are all kids from good families. I was like, what kind of weird code is that? But again, there you go. That would never be said. No. Or if, if somebody thought that, they would really, you know, not say anything. Like if they had any kind of prejudice or so that that just and wasn't it's really just wrong. Like it's not even just a bad thing to say. You're just really wrong if you think that's the. Right. But but I think a lot I think a lot of people had that mindset, like sort of, you know, this homophobic, you know, feeling or, you know, or uh, this idea that if you got the disease that you did something really wrong and somehow you deserved it. Yeah. I think that that was a prevalent thought. And Um, and another thought that he was dealing with, even if let's say you're more open-minded and you are keeping up with the news and you realize this can affect heterosexuals, you might also just have the really sad thought that this is going to go downhill fast and you're going to be wasting away and very sick and die. Like that's all we knew. Correct. That's right. Only outcome we knew. That's right, because people were dying. Yep. And so and so and again, and it was a very moving moment, too, when Magic said, you know, when I called Arsenio and let him know that I was retiring because I was ill, that that Arsenio died. Arsenio died. That Arsenio cried. cried. I know. And, and and I thought, because, again, because people think you might die. Might. There's a chance How that about you, it's you not, will. You will. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Arsenio said uh, in an interview separately that he did not want to do this magic interview the day after his press conference because he was his friend. They really actually were friends. And yes, 
he said, I did not think this was going to end well for him. And I didn't know if I could do the interview. And I thought, you know what, it sounds funny. But if Natalie had something like that, I don't, I don't think I'd be really the best either as an interviewer. Right, right. And he did look like he was emotional. It was, you know, and he just like kind of let magic handle himself. And magic was just, you know, he was smooth. He was poised. He was, you know, he was clear on why he was there. You know, like I, I loved it. I thought he was those things. He was definitely clear on why he was there and he got the, out the points that he wanted to get out. But I did think that when he came out, he what struck me was that he's so tall and big, actually. He's not like, yeah, he's not lanky. He's big. He somehow to me looked small, like he looked scared and small when he came out. And hmm. the audience claps forever. Like they have to tell them to stop clapping. Oh my God. That was the longest applause I've ever seen. I, know. I think. And I, I felt wow. like I could see that building him up that, right. you know, you don't really know until you go out there because of the attitude that people have towards AIDS. I mean, what if you go out and it's just quiet? You don't know what people are right. thinking, you know? Right. Absolutely. And you know, what was interesting too is, I haven't read or heard about how he thinks he might have acquired the disease, but I guess I don't know. The assumption is that he must have, you know, had an extramarital affair. I mean, you don't, you know, his wife stuck by him and he was blessed in that way that things that he got the support by by his family and by the public, really. Yeah, he told um, his wife that if she needed to leave him, that he would understand. Mm-hmm. And I think that you know, I guess it could be based on you don't want to be with a sick person, but it's probably also based on, you know, I fooled around because she right. doesn't have HIV. Correct. That's right. Which is fortunate. Yes, it was fortunate. And and the other beautiful thing is, like we were talking about in, in other podcasts, you know, we can look into the we know what's going to happen. So this is back in 1990, 91. We know what's going to happen. And he is still with us. I know. That's and, something and that... as far as we know, he's healthy. It's a happy outcome. I think he's very healthy. He he achieved his goal. He says in his press conference and on Arsenio, he says very clearly, you know, this. I'm retiring because the doctors have told me that it'd be better if I'm not stressing my body and my mind by yes. doing this. Um, but it might be okay because what I want to do is I want to own a team. And he does. Yes. He, I think he is owning what owned one and part owner of others. So he was very driven in that way. Right. It wasn't like, well, I'm just going to give up. It was like, no way. What, what's what's next? And that's that's what I love is that positive drive and just the, the the strength he demonstrated at a time when the norm is that a lot of people really thought very negatively about AIDS. He could have just not said anything. I guess I guess somebody would have said something because they did find out, you know, the, the, right, the, the, radio, press, the radio found out. But also, I, I mean, don't he, think you would if he wanted to retire, you'd have to give a reason because you don't retire at the height of your career like that. Right. So eventually it would have come out. But still, he 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 came out there with grace and just said what he needed to say. And he's a hero for people who, you know, probably would would have been afraid to like reveal their own truth at the time if they were sick. They saw magic come out like that. And that must have meant a, the world to, to that individual who was sick with AIDS or not sick, or with HIV. He, what he says is the doctor told him that they expected there were a million people in the, in the U.S. who had HIV and didn't know. And right Arsenio asked him how he's feeling. He's like, I'm fine. Nothing wrong with me. Right. And you, if you if you haven't been tested, you think there's a chance you need to get tested because I didn't know. Right. Right. And and he also talked about using condoms, making sure you use a condom, have safe sex. Mm-hmm. 
and it, he he says that he's retiring. That the press conference does that. He says effective immediately retiring. And Arsenio asks him something a reporter asked him at the press conference, and he actually dodged about the Olympic team because the '92 Olympics was the first year that the U.S. allowed professional athletes to compete. Before that, you needed to be an amateur. Mm-hmm. And because it was particularly important in basketball, because, you know, once we let our professional athletes in on basketball, we're going to take the gold, basically. So there was this team that he was going to be on called the Dream Team. And he tells Arsenio that he'll still go and he'll coach and cheer them on, but that he's not going to play. Right. But he does end up playing. He Oh, I didn't know yep. that. Okay. He plays in the Olympics and he eventually reverses his retirement, even in the NBA. He plays more in the NBA. But there were players that, or I don't know if it's players or managers or somebody who gave him a hard time, like said, you know, it was dangerous for him to be playing. What if, what if he, you know, is injured and bleeds on the court and, and potentially somebody could get the disease. So it wasn't a total easy ride, but he did uh, come back to his career. He was lucky, but I think historic, you know, his legacy is going to be, he was brave. He was brave at, you know, he was able to talk about his illness and educate the public and potentially save a lot of people. You know, people probably were like, you know what, if magic can get it, I can get it. Let me go get tested. Let me make sure I wear a condom. Or if I have AIDS or HIV, you know, it's not the end of the world. Look at magic. He's out there. He's doing stuff, you know? So he really was an inspiration. That's going to be a huge part of his legacy. Uh, You know, um, probably almost as big as every, anything he did, you know, basketball wise, as far as his achievements, I think his legacy in in terms of how he dealt with an illness that was killing people at the time. That and his business success later. I think he's very respected for what he did in business, which was important to him. Right. Smart guy. Yep. Yeah. He said he wanted to um, overcome the stereotype of a dumb jock. Uh, And he did that. He's he he was classy, eloquent, just a good soul. He had a talk show for a minute. He wasn't great at that, apparently. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I think he's a little too kicked back for that. I agree. I, I don't really see yeah, that. He's kind of the opposite of Bette Midler. He has none of that mask. Like, <laughs> Right. She could she could do yeah. that. She could certainly have her own talk show. And Yeah, around this time and the, you know, kind of history prep that we did for the podcast, you see a lot of announcements of deaths from a Freddie Mercury is a famous one yes. in 89. And he followed that path of absolutely just wasted away. And the last pictures of him are really hard to look at. Very tough. You know who a lesser known person probably, but in the Latino world, Hector, Hector Lavoe. I do not who, know that. Um, Hector Lavoe is a very well known, probably considered one of the best um, salsa oh. singers of all time. And he did die of AIDS related complications as well. Probably so at this time. Was, yeah. Around that time. Yes, because it's better medications and better control measures. There now. are, but when Magic went public, we didn't really know that. You know, those medications were really new. And I have a funny feeling that they only worked because he got diagnosed before he was symptomatic. These other folks who got it, there was no chance of them getting diagnosed early because nobody knew it was no test, you know. So by the yeah, time they it, had any medications, they were already in trouble. Right. Right. They were too far along and he was, they caught him at a good time and were, you know, thankfully he's still with us. How old is Magic now? Probably in his 60s? He was drafted into the NBA in 78 or 9. I forget which. Okay. So he's about 62. 
Not yeah, not too old. Unless he was drafted late or something, but I don't, I don't think so. I think he was drafted it's out of college. Not, every time I see him, you know, throughout the years, I, I'll see him in different places, and he looks great. You know, definitely. So I'm hoping he is great. Yeah, I wonder if he's just still taking all those drugs. Or I, I heard something not too long ago. I don't think it was about him, but there was somebody that they actually considered cured of HIV, like no longer even hmm. had to take the meds. Huh. I wonder who that is. I don't know, but I suspect that he probably still has to be under a doctor's care. I love that. During the interview, he said, if I die tomorrow, I've had the greatest yeah. life. That he could just say that, you know, with assurance. And and it's just good to see, like, he, you didn't die tomorrow. You're still with us. You know, here you are. Yeah, this is and, the one uh, so far. Well, no, Rosie Perez, we had a happy look forward. Like, a lot of times right. when you have the benefit of hindsight, you think, oh, man, you don't know what's coming. It's not going to be good. But this one, we think, hey, you're going to live a lot longer than you think. Right. And as far as I know, and you may you may have a little bit more information on this. He didn't lose any endorsements after he announced that he, you know, that he had HIV AIDS. Like, as far as I know, he, he didn't. didn't. Uh, I forget well, I if he HIV. says that. You know, he says that in the interview. He says all of yeah. my, um, you know, sponsors have stayed by me, which is surprising at the time. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, that's why I, I think like that's a definite big part of his legacy. And and uh, I give him a lot of credit for being brave. Yeah. And we we forget, you know, now all the talk is about coronavirus. But when we were in college, the number one health issue was AIDS. Was AIDS. Sure. A lot of fear around it. Fear and just, I don't know, stupidity. Ignorance. That kid saying Ignorance. that, you know, we all come from good families. Give me a break. Right. You know, it's funny. And, and, and like the art of the time, you know, honed in on, on HIV and AIDS, Philadelphia, another great movie, which, by the way, back when I was taking acting classes, which is not a well-known fact, <laughs> uh, the woman who taught voice, she taught, um, she taught you how to enhance your voice, how to like breathe and do different exercises to, to make your voice for you to be able to project mm -hmm. your voice. And she was in Philadelphia as an oh, expert. Really? And I saw huh. her. Yeah. Yeah, I saw her. I'm like, there she is. Whoa. You know, she didn't have a, uh, she didn't, I don't believe she had any no speaking lines. Role. Yeah. yeah, no. But Philadelphia, again, a, a great movie that pre presents this guy who's like a loving guy, smart guy, lovable guy, good family, gay man, you know, did make a mistake of going to a theater and, you know, not that it was a mistake. It's just, well, he had unsafe sex mm -hmm. in the theater and that's how he got AIDS and we all know the story that he eventually passes. But again, it's like, you know, it's a way to educate the public, pull at their heartstrings, pull at their minds and say, like, look, this is just a disease. You don't, you know, it ha it can happen to anybody. Have you watched that so, recently? I haven't. I watched it recently. I did not watch it at the time. It might have been something that came out while I was in Japan and I didn't see it. Oh, my God. So you never you hadn't seen it until. No, just I recently? knew about it. And I. Right, right. But I'm surprised you had never seen it because of, you know, because of Tom Hanks being nominated for the role and all that good stuff. Well, nice. I have to tell you, watching it now, it's weird. It's hard to believe that that was the attitude. And obviously, I remember I was in that time, but it feels artificial. I don't think it felt artificial at the time. I think it felt like a realistic portrayal of how people would have reacted to him. But when you watch it with you know, eyes of 2020 or maybe a little, I know it just doesn't seem possible. Right. But it unfortunately was, you know, both the homophobia and 
like the fact that you're contagious, yeah. you know, and that I, you don't get near me, you're dirty, you know, you got the, it's, you know, this was your fault that you got this disease. All of those ugly perspectives were out there. Well, Denzel's and, character in the movie is a lawyer and yeah. he hesitates to take the case because yeah. he doesn't know if he can, he, he goes to his doctor. That was one thing that made me surprised. He went to his doctor and he doesn't want to ask directly. He doesn't want to kind of give away that he's really this much of a scaredy cat, but Mm -hmm. he's trying to ask, like, if I shake his hand, can I get it? If this, can I get it? And right. It's surprising. It is. It is great role. Great. um, Very emotional. Oh my God. The, the ending. I still, when I I think about it, it's, 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 uh, it's well done. It's beautifully done. A beautiful. I I want to say the movie maker is Je- Jonathan Demi, but my goodness, if I have that wrong, I apologize. It sounds right. Um, yeah, uh, just beautifully done, and and well, and a great role for for Tom Hanks. I really he did like yeah, that he role did very for him. Well and Antonio Banderas was his uh, his uh, boyfriend. Yeah, I know he doesn't have a so, huge role, but no, but it's a very endearing. You know, very heartfelt role like I love their interaction the chemistry it was really really well done so I said that I wanted to give a little rundown on Arsenio around this time because we've kind of jumped around we started in 89 and then just to make these episodes kind of time out right we've jumped between 1990 91 and man Arsenio was blowing up during this time he was yeah in uh, 1990, he's TV Personality of the Year uh, from TV Guide. That's probably another thing that millennials will not understand, that we had an actual booklet that would tell you what was on television. <laughs> that was interesting to read. I know. Yeah. You could tell, you would know who was going to be on his show, for example, if you wanted to see, you know, should I stay up late tonight? You could see maybe it was going to be Bette Midler. Okay, I'll stay up. But they had articles too, and and it meant it meant something if they were calling you the TV personality of the year. Yeah, absolutely. And then your favorite mark of celebrity, November nineteen ninety, he gets a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Woohoo! He's really, as far as I know, doing secondary roles and stand up comedy until eighty eight when he does Coming to America. Right. Which comes out in 89. So that's pretty quick to get a star, in my opinion. Yeah, because I want to say that Jennifer Lopez got a star like much later. Like, how, wh- what is the measure? Like, I know. How do they determine whether you're eligible to get that star? I think it has something no to idea. do with your agent and manager, like, you know, promoting it as well. But still, that's quick. Yeah, that's awesome, too. And then December 1990, Coming to America, which didn't win any Oscars. It was nominated for um, costumes and makeup, which makes sense. I mean, there, there were really good costumes yeah. and makeup. In that. It was pre- it was it was well done too. the film was, you know, you know, I could see where that would happen. It, I love that movie, by the way. Me too. I thought I love it. And Arsenio was brilliant. Agree. And, you know, and as was Eddie Murphy. But they they both they both pulled their weight. And it wasn't like, oh, Eddie stood out and that was it. No, Arsenio definitely. um was great. Yeah, and I, I, when I watched that movie, I saw it in the theaters, and when I watched it, I didn't know him, and I, it, it didn't occur to me like, oh, who's this bum with Eddie Murphy? No, it was like you know, right. two equal co-stars. Absolutely, and it's nice to see like people who weren't stars, like 
you know, shine like Samuel Jackson, yeah. like the shooter in the McDonald's. It's like, whoa, you know, and um, and I believe the gentleman who's working in the uh, McDon- McDowell's, yeah. not McDonald's, the McDowell's, I, he's a well-known comedian, is he not? But I forget his name, the gentleman that was working in the restaurant. But in any case, it, it was uh, it's nice to see it's people not get, Anderson, getting their start. Yes, yes, I believe that's right. Yep. And Cuba Gooding, believe yep. it or not, was <laughs> in the barbershop. So yes. I love to see Eddie and Arsenio play different, like, you know, different roles, like playing I know. man or, you know, so. So that so, movie yeah, that got a, cool. um, an image award from the NAACP, which is meaningful. Mm-hmm. And then nice. 91, I didn't remember this, but I, kudos to Arsenio. He was on his hustle. He launched a show that followed his called the party machine. Oh, and it was, Oh, I wonder if it's with, uh, with who, who started Take a that? Guess. I, I bet I, you know, it was a young, unless I'm getting really confused. I thought it was a young lady by the name of Mia people. You got or something it. Like that. You got it. Okay. Oh, I didn't know that that was his show. Yep. He, he marketed oh. it like, okay, if you're going to buy my show and air it from 11 to 12, Here's something you could air from 12 to 12.30. It's like an after show type thing. Nice. He's smart. I thought so, too. And it was the purpose was or the theme was to showcase um, urban dance music. And there were a lot of well-known stars that performed on there. I'm very surprised that it only lasted for one season because it seemed perfect to me. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. Re- I remember, you know, I remember watching it, but I don't have any big memories of it. Just like I saw it, and that was it. I don't even remember how long it lasted. Yeah, I had but, a, uh, only he was very... smart to do that, though. That was a savvy business move. Throughout this whole rise that he has at this point, I'm continually impressed by the moves that he makes. Just smart, independent. I can't think of anything better that you could do to try to capitalize on what you've got there. I mean, he clearly wanted to, like, keep expanding in some way, you know, yep. whether it be a different show or whatever. But he was thinking about expanding his businesses. Mm-hmm. But she was a good choice for a host, too. She was a singer yeah. herself. Cute. Singer, actor. Yeah, pretty. Actress. She was on, I want to say she was, what was she on, Fame? She was on I don't Fame. Know. She was on a, yep. well, yeah, okay, she was on a well-known show. She's She had a career, too. I checked her out. She's been in a lot of yeah. things. Yeah, she has. I don't know what she's been in lately, but she... You know, she definitely was around for for a bit. And then the last thing I noticed, I mean, this is definitely by far the most significant. In September 91, the BC newspaper, again, um, had a, a feature where they would, it was called Voices on the Dust Bowl, and they would ask a question to kids that were, you know, going to and from class. And their question in one week in September 91 was, what are things that make you go, hmm? <laughs> <laughs> we would say that a lot. I know. Like, ooh, things that make you go, hmm, every time. I remember saying that a lot. So clearly he's reached the height of success in September 91. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was cool. Yeah. That's the thing. He was the cool talk sh- who had the guests that we wanted to see. Mm-hmm. You know, Bobby Brown and Ralph Trayvon and, you know, you know, different stars like that. and. He was just cool. Yeah, I, I will say I 
as I mentioned with Bette Midler, I'm surprised how many old school guests he had as well. Right. Um, you know, and I don't know how the younger generation would have felt where they just like, all right, well, I'll wait for Bette Midler to be done. <laughs> or Right. Well, I, I, you know what? I think that because he had mainstream movie success, that helped him have a, you know, a diverse audience. Yeah. You know, older and, you know. Because he was like Eddie Murphy. Eddie was like, he crossed over. Like, he wasn't just, you know, popular within one community. He was popular with everybody. Well, and let's face it. So, if Bette Midler has a movie coming out, she's relevant. It's not like someone 20 is going to say, old lady, you know. She's got right. a movie in theaters. Correct. Before the end of this episode, grab your phone and head to Twitter. Retweet one of the graphics posted at Podcenio. P-O-D-Cenio. You can even at mention Arsenio himself. We found the recording of the Green Line train on freesound.org. Thank you to Craig Hagen. This concludes our broadcast day. Good night and God bless America.